Accutron Watches present The Accutron Show, a time travel through American culture, with your hosts David Graver and Indrani. Visit AccutronWatch.com and discover the brand that has made American history with an all-new proprietary next-generation electrostatic energy movement. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. And so my theory is, what if the lyrics that I make are great for you, but the instrumentals themselves are 100% organically sourced from nature? Yes. The person you heard at the top of the show is today's guest, Madam Gandhi, award-winning artist, musician, and activist. But first up, me, Indrani, and David Graver, here on a new episode of The Accutron Show. Stay tuned. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, accutronwatch.com, and discover our iconic Space View 2020 collection, recreating the stunning visual impact of the original open dial design, combined with an all-new electrostatic energy movement. Time just changed again the Accutron Space View 2020. David, I'm so excited to meet Madam Gandhi, or Kiran Gandhi is, is her real name. She's a Forbes 30 Under 30 in music and a BBC 100 Women winner, and such an interesting voice in the, in the music world. In the music world and the world of activism, she's found this way to bring together her two passions and honestly change the world in the process. In many ways... I think we'd both agree that music and activism go hand in hand. Music is a channel. Music is a way to convey messages that move people. And I think she's really done a good job of opening people's minds and opening people's hearts by dropping an awesome beat, <laughs> making them feel positive. Well, I think that her approach to Antarctica recordings and climate action through the beauty of music is also really engaging. It's it's a great way to help people to to use their senses as part of their own evolutionary journey. It's also cool that at the start of it all, I mean, she was a drummer for MIA. She was a drummer for Thievery Corporation. She was a, an empowered woman drummer making cool music. And she was able to segue that into her own solo career and to an international platform where she's giving keynote addresses and speaking at TED. And winning the music video award at... South by Southwest, I mean, that's a big deal. For, for a young artist, that is, is something that is hard to do without the massive resources or, or pre-existing fame. So I think her approach to looking at bravery and gender, but f not from a, a position that we're used to seeing. I mean, I think she, she has a really interesting way of, of navigating between expectations and challenging the status quo. In the way that she uses music to convey a message, to convey messages of positivity and empowerment, do you do you ever listen to music to set yourself into a new mood, to find yourself on a new path? I think music can be so inspiring. I, I love to listen to music, especially when I'm starting on a new project and I want to shift my, my whole sphere of of the world that I'm in and, and enter a new world. And, and I think 
I think uh, Madame Gandhi gives us new worlds, new experiences with each of her her experimental approaches. It's true. I look forward to talking with her about all that and more on this episode of The Accutron Show. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, accutronwatch.com, and discover our Accutron DNA collection. Reimagined for a new generation, the Accutron DNA combines breakthrough technology, precise engineering, and modern aesthetics to achieve a new level of technical excellence. The Accutron DNA, the new face of time for those who blaze new trails. Karen, thank you very much for being with us today on The Accutron Show. I would love to know, first and foremost, what came first, music or your passion for activism? Because both are so profound. I really appreciate this question. It's a nice opportunity for me to reflect as well. I think I was always taught that they're separate things. You know, I was always taught that music was this thing that just lit me up and made me happy. And then activism was sort of what my parents encouraged my brother and sister and I growing up in Manhattan to be really mindful of, you know, you've been given all this privilege. We've both worked hard for, for you three kids to go out and make a difference in the world. And it was this combination of being told as a young person that my responsibility is to give back met, met, met with the joy and love that music would spark within me. And I have early memories of being like four or five years old, randomly in the hotel of this, um, in 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 Delhi where there was a live band that would play when my family and I would go out for dinner and it just there was a song that they'd cover by La Bamba la 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 bamba and I would just like jump out of my chair and run and dance with the band that I was like four or five years old and then every year after that when we would visit the band would like play the song and it was so pure it was so pure so I think the activism came from when we were a young age we were always encouraged to give back to volunteer to be mindful of the rest of the world and I think because music just gave me such effortless joy, I knew that it would be something that I didn't have to work to do. And when we match our joy with an opportunity to give back, uh, I think you're fueled for life. I, I love this synergy of, of activism and, and being an artist. I think that you embody these two sort of uh, dichotomies. People often talk about the the artist's journey being something about self-expression and the activist being for others. But I see in this combination that you have that, that you're, you're always acting for yourself, but also for, for others, it seems. Does, does, that, does that feel? Yes. Yeah. And I think it's, it's easy to be like a tech sensibility. It's almost that mentality that oftentimes we are just solving a problem for ourselves and in doing so, we're adding enormous value and creativity to the lives of others. And, you know, not to jump around too much, but in 2015, I ran the London Marathon, bleeding freely on my period to combat the stigma that so many women and people who bleed face. And it's very funny because a lot of, I think, a lot of times people imagine that story as this radical activist cause from the onset. But actually, it was just radical for myself because I was like, I don't know what people do in this situation. I'm finding myself unprepared on day one of my cycle. I didn't have the products that, uh, you know, that people use. And I also didn't know if they would be good for four hours of running on a marathon. And I knew there was something punk rock and feminist about running a marathon bleeding, but I also knew it was deeply empowered. I was like, why don't you come 
uh, bleed from anywhere and run four hours with me. And then we can have a conversation. You know, like I knew there was like a badass nature of the choice. And I knew like, how can you shame a marathoner? Like, this is amazing regardless, let alone we're bleeding and we're running. And so, you know, that story, it's a profound one because I really felt like I was just showing up for myself and my body in that moment, exactly as you're saying it, Rani. And then that story and having written about it went viral all over the world, unlocking this global conversation around why is it that something that's actually so natural and so healthy is so deeply stigmatized? It's a little bit of the misogyny. It's a little bit of ancient cultures. And it, but it's also preventing us from educating each other. It's preventing disease control. It's it's preventing us from giving products to unhoused people, incarcerated people, people in low-income communities. So, you know, sometimes when we are brave enough to own our voice and go first and actually say, I don't know if I want to participate in a norm that doesn't work for me, you're absolutely right. We have the potential to actually have great positive impact. I, I have to jump in here because this... When you did that, it really struck a chord. It, it, it had such a profound response. So many people said awful things about it. You know, people were, were deeply yes. troubled and, and, and challenged by this, this radical act of yours. And, and something that women find so embarrassing. It's like a lot of people's yes. worst nightmare to, to have yes. this completely natural function be known of in any way as though, you know, being human, being a woman is somehow shameful. How do you feel when people react that way towards what what you did? Well, I think it was what helped the marathon story have such potency was the fact that it was so polarized. And actually, some of the criticism that would say, oh, this is not a real issue. Why don't you actually focus on an issue that really does negatively impact women around the world? This is not an issue. That was so easily negated by the fact that so many people expressed their disgust, misogyny, um, oppressive views, controlling views. Um, it, it revealed this sinister perception that's embedded within the culture. Yes. And unless you have something that is radical, shocking, that kind of sparks the conversation and sparks society into taking a moment to question and analyze, um, you know, sometimes you won't get those really important um, reveals and exposure into the to the darkness of, of where the culture is held. And when you talk about, you know, the embarrassment, the shame, it's a fallacy for us to pretend that our bodies are doing anything other than what they're doing. Yeah. It's foolish. It's naive. It's, it's unintelligent. Really, the most amazing thing is for us, especially as people who bleed, to have full awareness of what is a natural, healthy experience. What does it mean when my cycle is late beyond just being pregnant? Could it also mean that I'm stressed, that I'm not eating right, that I'm not taking care of myself, that there might be a disease that I'm unaware of that's untreated, right? Like there's so many things that came as a result of, of speaking with each other. And stigma, which is the inability to talk about something, is one of the most effective forms of oppression. It Absolutely. denies us the ability to talk comfortably and confidently about our own bodies. And so you know, I'm so glad that you're bringing this up. I appreciate us getting right into it at the top of the conversation. You know, uh, may we all be brave enough to notice that sometimes societal norms have grave ramifications if they're not addressed. I, I do remember all of the dialogue that you helped the world approach. And I think everyone is grateful to you for that. How 
powerful or how important to you is social media with regard to the music that you make? It's really important that you're asking me this question around social media, because so often for our own mental health as musicians, as activists, as leaders, I find myself taking the app off my phone and just taking a break so that I can re-energize healthily in my own community and then re-engage. And I say that because I think with the marathon story, it was still almost pre like virality. Like right now, everything goes viral all the time, multiple times per day around the world on the internet. It's really interesting. But even eight years ago, we weren't seeing the level of virality that we're seeing now. And so a story like the marathon, the social media was the enabling factor to have this incredibly important conversation around why menstruation is so stigmatized. Right now, that would have been a TikTok moment that would have like blipped up for a moment and moved on. And it actually would have been a huge missed opportunity. I think social media is important because it has the power to unify us. It has the power to move a movement forward. It has the power to accelerate a conversation that maybe in a past time period would have taken a lot longer. Uh, the negatives are obvious. The more that we fight and have um, a very clear opposing viewpoints, the more all of these tech companies are printing ad dollars. So, so there is not a genuine desire to optimize for goodness necessarily. I would say the genuine desire is keep us fighting because the longer that we're engaging on social media, the longer you have our attention and the joke ultimately is on us thinking that we have such important opinions. That's a bit of a skeptical perspective, but sometimes when I see, you know, even when it comes to global politics, as we're seeing right now, um, when it comes to fights for social justice, when it comes to elections in America, as long as there is a hard one and a hard opposite, like us versus them mentality, social media wins, not us, not them. It's a fallacy. So these are some of my current perspectives around social media. And then when you ask me for my music, if I answer strictly on the business side, of course, social media is a great tool. It's a huge value to be able to connect directly to the people who I want to come to my show. It's a huge value that someone who's a fan of the show can immediately tell their friends in a way that really didn't exist even 10, 10 years ago. So positives and negatives, we have to use it wisely. We have to use it um, protectively. And we have to also uh, take care of our own mental health. I love the way that you think deeply about all of your engagements and inspire people with your actions as well as as with your with your art. Tell me more about your music. What do you have coming up? Uh, you know, what are you excited about uh, in in the music uh, creation process? Yes, I've put out three albums: Voices, Visions, and most recently, Vibrations. We just wrapped up the U.S. tour, which actually culminated at a show in Carnegie Hall, which as a born and raised New Yorker was a huge honor. Uh, it's it's my great joy to tour and to perform. I think I live for the stage. You know, I think a lot of uh, musicians love being in studio, but I go into the studio to be able to make music that I know translates into an amazing, awesome, high energy live show. I love being on stage where I can connect directly and see the immediate impact of the work. I'm grateful that I'm in music where someone in Kenya can be listening to my songs or someone in Afghanistan who's having a tough time can listen to The Future is Female and not feel like her voice is quieted. I think those experiences that I've had in my life are very touching. But if I had it my way, I'd be on a stage every night. You know, wow. that's like, I always tell my partner that I'm like, if I could be on a stage two, three times a day, you know, that's my happiest place because I like having immediate impact, and I believe that music is a rich opportunity to make someone feel good, feel happier. And when you have a positive mentality, you also want to go and make change in the world. You're more generous. 
what's coming up next uh, three months, I'll be working on my long form album. Um, it's I already have many songs in the pipeline. I think for me, I want to push myself to be more, even more truth oriented. I think I feel like I'm radical, but I could, I feel like I could be pushing a lot farther. When you're brave, you have to make sure that internally you feel quite confident because you have to be ready that someone's not going to like it or that they're not going to connect with it. But for everyone who doesn't like it, many people are enormously grateful that you're brave and taking those risks. So it's a spiritual journey, making sure that you're good on the inside so that you can take braver risks on the outside. As you speak so fondly about touring, I'd love for you to talk about how you were able to exude your creativity during the height of the pandemic. I think you did a DJ set for Belova. I did. Oh, it was amazing. awesome. It was so awesome. And actually, you know, I think because we had done the DJ set in person, you know, you know the potential of it. Many things, and I appreciate you asking this question, David, because I felt grateful that so many of the opportunities that I had booked for 2020 did actually convert into a virtual offering that I could log on to Zoom and figure out the routing of my audio so that I could actually DJ for people. And of course, you know, the internet ended up exploding with folks who were just running DJ sets for hours and hours. And as people in the pandemic, there was enormous community to just plug into what was happening and feel like you weren't so alone. I think music was an enormous uh, community builder in the pandemic, and I learned the immediate power of that. And I actually, you know, we were able to grow the people who were listening to my music very quickly. Um, but I'll tell you this, I had a really unique experience that over and over, doing it over and over again, just like how we are on the call now, I'm solo participating and I, I'm solo, I'm playing my music on, in the pandemic, I'm solo DJing. And then when the show is over, you just turn off your phone and then in reality, you look left and right and you're like, oh, where did everybody go? I'm actually completely by myself. And so there's this dopamine rush that happens when you perform and you give. And then when you turn off the phone, all of those people are not physically there to hug you and connect and to say, I received the medicine that you're giving and thank you. And it kind of felt like when you've like been in physically intimate with somebody, but then there's no like after connection. Everyone's like, okay, cool, gotta go. I'm gonna take a cab home. You know, it felt like it, it felt like a deep um it, it felt very emotionally challenging. So yes, it was a joy to give in the pandemic. I'm grateful for the connections, but on my own, I felt like as a musician, it's vulnerable and then there's nobody to connect with afterwards. And that was hard. Karen, thank you so much for that. We're going to take a break right now and we'll be right back on the Accutron Show with Madam Gandhi. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com, and discover our legacy collection, reviving some of the most memorable Accutron watches from the 60s and 70s. The legacy collection combines timeless design with the technical excellence of Swiss watchmaking, each limited to 600 individually numbered pieces. The Accutron Legacy Collection, inspired by the past, built for your future. We are back with Madame Gandhi. And... Kieran, I want to ask you about uh, one of your experiments that I find personally really exciting. We have so many synergies with the women's empowerment and with the environmental work. And speaking of being all alone, you went to the most alone place in the world, Antarctica, to do a recording, sampling the sounds of glaciers melting to create empathy and awareness. I think that is such a brilliant approach. Tell me more about how that idea came up and, and how you brought it into, into the world. This is awesome. In the pandemic, I 
spent a lot of time recording nature sounds because it was one of the few places that we could actually go that was considered safe and you're not harming anybody else. And of course, as someone who loves to run, you know, being able to run in nature was a beautiful thing. So I learned this process of recording nature sounds and then actually sculpting the organic audio material into modern day electronic music tools like drums, synthesizers, bass sounds, kick drums, hi-hats. And so theoretically, any producer can then take those individual pieces and construct their own music using those electronic music tools that are 100% sourced from nature. So when that project won an award in 2021 with my collaborator at SoundMana, I applied using off the back of that to Stanford's music technology master's program and developed the concept further where I learned how to build underwater microphones. And so then when I got invited to go out to Antarctica um, with a group, so luckily I wasn't alone, but you're absolutely right. The process of recording is very, very a solo journey. I took the mics out there and started recording the sounds of glaciers literally melting in, in, the, in the South Pole and, and penguins singing and sea lions. And, you know, I've not been to too many places in the world where there's very little human interaction. And when I went to Antarctica, I was like, oh, my God, nature is bre- it's just so breathtakingly humbling, humblingly beautiful. And when I came back, I did the same thing. We made a whole bunch of drum sounds of a penguin synthesizer, um, you know, subs made out of the sounds of sea lions. And so in April, 2024, for Earth Day, we're gonna release all 300 sounds that any musician can theoretically take and build their own music. And if you think about the top producers today, you have the people who are producing for Rihanna and Lady Gaga and all these artists. So in the same way, they might go and grab some electronic kicks and hi-hats and drums. I want them to go and get my Antarctica pack, which is an apples to apples comparison in terms of sound, but it's 100% organically sourced. And so hopefully the idea there is that the more people engage with nature sounds, the more they feel uh, empathy to actually do something about the planet, to feel motivated to protect and to save and to, to make different choices on their individual day-to-day life. I love that. Got to get you engaged for for the Amazon and the rainforest work mm-hmm. that we're doing. That would be really fun. This is oh, such- I didn't realize you're doing that. That's awesome. Yeah. Sorry. This is such a big, nuanced, layered idea that required so many complex steps to bring to life. Can you give us insight on your creative process? Like, what inspires you? What sparks an idea like this? And then how do you bring it to fruition? Sometimes I feel like the path chooses us. I felt grateful to be invited to learn this process in a retreat center during the pandemic from a friend of mine who had just started it with his partner. I think this person knew that I am spiritually minded, that activism and giving back is a huge part of my work. And so when I was taught the process of including nature sounds to create electronic music, it was such a natural fit for my passion. And in 2020, I gave a TED talk on the main stage about conscious music consumption. And what does it mean when we're listening to music whose lyrics are reinforcing problematic gender stereotypes? And can we actually provide and design the alternative? And that actually most traditional, even religious cultures in their in their highest, best form are teaching positive songs to sing back to affirm mantras or lyrics that are good for you, that affirm good behavior in humanity. And so my theory is, what if the lyrics that I make are great for you, but the instrumentals themselves are 100% organically sourced from nature? Yes, 
so that the end to end, you know, the Madam Gandhi project is just something that is clean, positive, high vibrational, protected, interesting, um, creative, sexy, but but not denigrating somebody else, not putting somebody else down in order for us to feel cool or empowered. So that's the high level motivation, David. And in terms of the day to day, I think it's important for me to be collaborating. Sometimes I find it really hard to be just by myself opening my laptop. I, I get very motivated when I'm in a group mentality. Maybe it's because I'm the older sibling. So I was always used to having two siblings who were like my helpers. Like they'd be so mad if I said that on the podcast, but they'd also not deny it. They'd be like, it's true. And we don't do that anymore. But there is something about being the big sister where you're like, okay, guys, we're going to do this awesome mission. And all you have to do is follow my leadership. And they would, and we would have an awesome time. So I, you know, I'm joking, but I do still think there's that intuitive. I love to be the leader of a team who's going somewhere and, and feel supported. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Working in the Amazon, working with ecosystems preservation, I've come to realize that, that it's when you have a really diverse creative approach like yours, that people really pay attention in a new way because working with the senses, ha having those, the sounds of, of ice melting and crashing, it just, it gives you a different kind of angle on it, a different relationship. Yes. It makes it immediate and something that you can feel the terror as well as the, you know, this, yes. this changing element. I, I think that's very interesting. Have you had people respond uh, in surprising ways to your, to your music? Have, have you f seen the emotional impact that you bring? Yes, I think, you know, when originally the project really was centered in my feminism, it was right off the back of the marathon story. It was right before the Trump Hillary Clinton election. It was right when the, the concept of the future is female, where femininity is actually something that is aspirational rather than something to make fun of or use as an insult. It was a really powerful time. It was right before the Women's March. So we're seeing this kind of global resurgence of a fourth wave feminism. And that was a huge center point of my project. As time evolved and my own healing happened, I took the same mentalities of justice and liberation and started applying it to all types of things and actually realizing that when we take responsibility for our own healing journey, you, you know, that's where the magic really lives because you can hold empathy for, for many different people. And so I think the reflection of that, which has been the most positive surprising, is when the security guards at the end of my show are like, yo, the future is female. Can I get a picture? Like, I fuck with what you're doing. I respect you. When the older uh, white gentlemen in the project are like, we need this. Like, this is the right direction. So there's this kind of sense of like, maybe I'm not the fe the women that you're fighting for, but I understand that this is the medicine that is needed and I want to support that medicine. And I think that's actually the world that I want to live in. I don't want to live in a world where it's me versus you. And I've done that where I feel angry and upset, but actually what I want is all of us to feel like we can move through our own pain and do the right thing. <laughs> I love the, that way of viewing your music as medicine. I think that is very powerful. You touched upon how, Part of your mission is to use music for positivity, personal expression, and human thriving. And in a way, that's been a through line through this entire conversation. Why is music a good way to channel those experiences and those hopes and dreams? Mm. I love opening people. I love when my audience comes 
they're tired, they're late from work, they're busy, they don't know if they have disposable income to waste on live music. I love bringing people back to their humanity, bringing people back to their heart space, bringing people back to their childlike vibrancy and curiosity and belief in the world. That's a, a very positive and honest human fuel. And it's very hard to find, especially the young people. They're accessing TikTok and social media in a way that was never in existence before. And it dims their light a lot quicker. You know, I think there was like a childlike spirit that sort of lasted longer in the early years of human development. Right now, childhood is like maybe eight or nine years max. And then the second that they're exposed to other people's way of life, their own childlike enthusiasm gets diminished because they're like, oh, somebody's already done this. Oh, this thing that I thought was amazing and magical is actually not that magical. And that's a huge missed opportunity. We need the adults to believe in their own magic. We need all people to believe in their own magic so that we can make the world a better place, that we feel happy in our life, not so upset that it's not what we thought it's supposed to be. So music vibrationally can soften somebody. It gets them moving. It puts a smile on their face. It brings them back into that childlike purity. And then you can deliver the message because they're open for transmission. Beautiful. That was so awesome. Thank yeah. you. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's you know, hearing your organic approach to music creation. How do you feel about things like AI affecting the process and and the the role of technology in in your creative approach? Yeah. Yeah, I recently gave a, a keynote about music and AI, and it was very funny. In front of the audience for 20 minutes, I basically built a beat in front of them and showed them how I would theoretically lean on AI. And so the first activity that I walked them through was opening up ChatGPT and telling ChatGPT to write a Madam Gandhi song. And it was just very funny because it was just so cheesy and fun and like and bad, you know, in the sense that it was like sisters rally together march to the beat of your own drum you know it's like some like generic thing so on one hand i was like okay at least the branding is strong that you know it's clear that it's percussive that it's gender uh forward this kind of thing but on the other hand i you know it was funny to, it was great to be like see this is why we need humans like this is why we actually need human creativity for us as humans to optimize for what it is that we do best which is emotions and richness as you said and texture the other way that i find it interesting to use ai is if you essentially double down on what is your essential contribution and fully own that you don't care that the rest of it is not your contribution because that's not what you're good at. So in the same way, I might hire a guitarist or a piano player to come lay down chords because I'm a drummer and I'm a lyricist. I might outsource that to, to uh, an AI tool that can generate chords for me to then put and copy paste into my music. Of course, the whole conversation now is where does the IP lie and do we put music musicians out of business and blah, blah, blah. But I think for idea generation, I think for you to be super honest about where your actual value is being delivered, I think just like any other uh, piece of technology, we just have to use use it intelligently and with a design choice. I can't believe we are at this point in the conversation and we're finally asking you, why drumming? What moves you about the drums? <laughs> I knew intuitively as a kid that it was cool if girls drum. I definitely knew that. I definitely got a lot of attention for being a female drummer and I was good at it. I think I already had 
a rigor around practicing piano and practicing sports and being a good A student. And so I took that same mentality towards practicing my drums. And within a few months, I remember getting quite good at it. And the positive attention and encouragement that I got only fueled me further to keep going. Um, to this day, you know, when I was 12 is when I was learning in New York City and my drum teacher, Frank, just came to my show at the Brooklyn Bowl two weeks ago, you know, and he's like, I have tears in my eyes. Like, I'm still moved from your show. You know, That's like 20 years later. So I think I had good community. I think drums is raw. It's visceral. It's the heartbeat. You can go to any culture all around the world and sit in a little bit to a certain extent on the drums that they offer if you have a little bit of basic rhythm and technique. Um, I think also there was a part of me that was more lazy as a kid where I was like the guitarist and the front person have to do most of the work. Like the drummer just has to look cool and keep time. So I think there was a part of me also just from being like a little punk, I was like, that's the easiest job is to be the drummer. <laughs> um, but those were the different reasons. And to this day, you know, the drums, the way I do it now is I used to play a mixture of singing and playing drums behind the kit, then also playing percussion and then also doing vocal beatboxing and percussion with my voice. Now I just fully hire a drummer and have her play the whole show with me. And I focus again on what I'm good at, which is being the front woman and playing percussion um, in addition to the drummer, because this drummer is like far surpassed the skill level that I've been at. And it only amplifies the project more to have really strong musicians on the stage. And then I always explain to my friend D who plays the drums that there's a design choice in showing women affirm other women and actually share the stage and have us all be really strong at what we do. So I focus now on my percussion and my, my lyrics, but drumming is a centerfold of how I write the music. I love that. You know, as a woman of color, in an industry that is so male dominated and as an immigrant woman as well with with all the pressure that i know that we often grow up with to you know to do something important and and have you know be a scientist or have something that uh, the culture tells us we're supposed to have how do you balance all of those different pressures and focus on on the work I think it was when I started going to Georgetown, which is where I did my undergrad, and I started drumming with a lot of the DC drummers. I was part of an all-female djembe group. I started uh, drumming at a nightclub alongside a DJ uh, that was owned by a band called Thievery Corporation, which many people love. And then I got picked to go and drum for them as the sub at Bonnaroo when I was 21 years old. So it was these reaffirming moments of joy that were farther and farther away from my moments of like, I don't want to say suffering, that's an exaggeration, but definitely at Georgetown, I was kind of like, everyone tells you that college is supposed to be the best four years of your life. And I'm like, I'm not seeing it. Like, this is so like, I great, I'm grateful to be learning and I'm grateful to be in the classroom. I understand these are like world famous institutions, but I always felt really underwhelmed. Like everyone wants to just get drunk and party on the weekend. Like I never felt motivated by that. And so you asked me about the pressures of being an immigrant parent and being a female, but it's always, it's been, it's been more about joy. So I'm like, I don't care what all of you say and what you think is good for me. I've lived what you think is good for me. I don't enjoy it. I can only go with what I know is good for me, which is being in community with other activists, other musicians, other creative people, other people who break the mold and think differently. These are the kinds of people who light me up. I think for our last sentiment, 
we're wondering if you have any advice that you would give to young musicians or young people who aspire to be music makers or to change the world. I always think that people from a very pragmatic standpoint worry about money. And I think that's totally fine and reasonable. You know, for me, what I did that I thought worked was my main job was still in music. I still went and worked for a record label and had a full-time salary and a full-time job working for Interscope Records right out of college. And that was one of the best decisions I could have made because my whole world was in music rather than me having my main job, which is completely something different. And then my desire on the side to moonlight as a musician. I think if you can try to optimize for giving yourself humbly and wholly to your career and then finding multiple diverse sources of income, this is the best way to keep fueling it forward. And to this day, you know, I love DJing. I love speaking on a stage. I love um, producing music. I love the Nature Sounds project. And I, of course, love singing and drumming on a stage. And all of them are symbiotic rather than disparate sources of income. So that's my very pragmatic advice for somebody who wants to start being a musician is don't keep such different worlds. If you really want to be a musician, try to have your whole world be um, be from a place of love, what you what you love doing. Such great advice and, and really exciting to to get to hear your pragmatic as well as your creative sides and how they fuel each other. It's, it's exciting. Thank you both. Yeah. And thank you to Accutron. This is so awesome. So fun. I also, you know, just spending time on Accutron. I appreciate how creative the brand is, how thoughtful it is. I love good design sensibility. So I'm thrilled to be here with you all. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. And we look forward to sharing this episode of the Accutron show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Accutron show. To listen to all of our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. Remember to check out our special edition Accutron products in collaboration with La Paulina Cigars, Estabrook Pens, Asseline Publishing, and Stave Puzzles. To learn more about the world of Accutron, follow us on Instagram at Accutron Watch. From New York City, until next time, Accutron Time. This is Bill McCuddy.